kicking over the bones. Welcome to Hand of Pod. to Hand of Pod, episode 287, uh, one of the sadder episodes of Hand of Pod that we'll have had to record, although there are no Argentines um, here in the studio today. Uh, I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined by English Dan. Hello and welcome to the only Argentina-Spain analysis you'll hear this week, which doesn't involve four idiots shouting at each other. Or more. Or possibly more. Yeah, this is just two idiots talking quite quietly to each other. Yeah, we'll keep it fairly civil, I think, because we're not pricks, basically. Indeed. Um, Argentina have played two friendlies since we last recorded, uh, one of which was just a couple of hours ago, and is the one that we're going to be um, focusing on more than anything. I think it would need to be anyway, really, because to get because the you can't remember what happened <laughs> I can remember, but I mean... It's Italy. They, they it's were Italy, yeah. really not very good. There's a reason they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Um, yes. Argentina beat Italy 2-0 in Manchester on Thursday. Uh, well, for us it was afternoon. For, for those of you in England, it was the evening, of course. Um, and just now on Tuesday afternoon slash evening, depending on where you were watching from, um, they have lost to Spain in Madrid 6-1. You all already know this, no doubt. I'd be surprised if anybody's picked up this podcast and is just hearing this scoreline just now. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. Just in case you are doing. Uh, I don't know, maybe you've been asleep and I've managed to get this up really quickly and it's the first time you're hearing it. Yep, you heard correctly. 6-1 to Spain. Uh, Goal scorers, can we remember? I'm getting them up now, yeah. I'm trying to remember. It was a hat-trick Isco hat-trick. Isco. The first goal from Diego Costa, which was, in a way a double-edged goal because not only was it a goal but he also hospitalised Sergio Romero Ah, he um, hospitalised him I hadn't heard that Well, he didn't literally hospitalise ah. as far as I'm aware not literally but he did force him off the pitch uh, Romero lasted another 10 minutes before saying he couldn't go on A blessing in disguise for uh, Romero we could say <laughs> We could although yeah. who knows maybe he would have done better uh, yeah. Thiago Alcantara scored one uh, to make it uh, 3-0 after, or 3-1 sorry because Nicolas Atomendi pulled one back shortly before half time for Argentina Tiago Alcantara scored to make it 4-1 after he scored out in his second. Um, Iago Aspas got the fifth and then Isco completed his hat-trick with the sixth. Um, where to start? Where to start? That's the question. Possibly by playing a bit of devil's advocate and throwing out a few qualifiers. It was a very good Spain team against a not very good Argentina team and a not very good Argentina team generally means that it was an Argentina team without Lionel Messi. Uh, the captain was out with an adductor injury, which had been giving him grief the whole week. It ruled him out of the Italy game, which didn't really get noticed as much as it could have because Italy have a lot of problems at the moment, but against Spain, it definitely did. Uh, add to the mix injuries for Sergio Aguero and Angel Di Maria. And possibly another one. 
another guy who I'm forgetting. Well, Lancini played the Manuel Lancini, yes. And picked up a shoulder knock, didn't he? One of the better players uh, from that Italy game. He had a very good game, and I think he probably would have started. He definitely would have started. Would have started uh, due to Messi's injury. Mm. You could have, you could say. So it was uh, it was a weakened team. It was also a fairly experimental team. Sampaoli continued with his new fullback pairing. Uh, Fabrizio Augustos and Nicolas Tagliafico, two guys with past and present in Independiente, who played very well against Italy, but um, Tuesday were found out a little bit. Not entirely of, you know, due to their own failings, I'd say, because where it really went wrong for Argentina, in my opinion, is in the middle. Uh, San Paolo picked Javier Mascherano for his 142nd cap. If I remember right, equaling that, Javier not, um, Zanetti. That's not humorous hyperbole, it really was. Yes. Equaling, yeah. and, equaling Zanetti as the most capped Argentina player of all time. And you think that, judging on that performance and judging on Mascherano's form and current playing situation, it could well be his last cap because he was very, very far off the pace. Uh, Biglia didn't really do much to compensate it just ahead of that of those two was Eber Banega who didn't really he couldn't do anything in defence or attack he was did it again didn't he that kind of the worst Banega who just sort of drifts around not really looking very interested and and this is why I feel frustrated by Banega all the time because sometimes he's, he's as he did against Italy comes on and sort of he really transformed Argentina's performance from slightly sluggish and not quite tying up the lines, good up, good up front, but not managing to quite knit midfield and forwards together, mm. and suddenly just added that dimension that um, Leandro Paredes had been singularly failing to, uh, to to bring to the game all along, and added much more dynamicism to the midfield. And then against Spain, he just he he went missing again. Yeah, it, those, yeah he seems to do it sometimes, and it's just it, it, that's why I, I still can't quite bring myself no. to say. In fact, after the Italy game, I did say he he, he should probably be starting now in the field mm-hmm. if he's going to do this every game. But right away, a few days later, he he singularly failed to do it. In fairness, I don't think it's his best position for Argentina. He was pushed forwards out of necessity because of Messi's injury. Banega has always looked more comfortable, kind of playing off Messi and sitting back a little bit but obviously with Bilia thrown to the team there wasn't really much option for him so he had to kind of occupy this no man's land yeah he, he can't be playing in the midfield alongside Biglia and Mascherano mm-hmm. if it's a two man base or whatever then maybe yeah. not necessarily with those players because you know as you've just mentioned they didn't have the best games and in Mascherano's case at least definitely probably shouldn't be really picked anymore for Argentina but um, no yeah and I think you've got to say as well that, you know, there's been other games where you can say well, it's down to a couple of misses, a couple of mistakes, or you get unlucky. But more than anything, the coach, Sampaoli, has to shoulder the blame for for this performance because he's trying to do something which I think is laudable with the Argentina team. Um, pressing high up the pitch, playing out from the back, but... He's not picking the players that can do it. If you look at Argentina's starting lineup on Tuesday against a team like Spain, who do pass the ball very well and do everything very well, basically, um, 
he had a game plan which consisted of trying to push them and harry them across the whole pitch. Who have you got to do that in the middle? The middle column. you got Gonzalo Higuain, Bilia, Banega and Machirano. Four of the slowest people in football mm. who are just not going to cover the pitch for you. And, and one of the two behind Mascherano, you know, I mean, there can't be exemptions as well, Nicolas Otamendi, yeah. uh, who we've been saying for ages is Argentina's best centre-back and uh, had an absolute nightmare state despite the he fact did, that, yeah. that he scored the goal. Um, and Marcos Rojo, who is a limited player anyway, who had obviously a wonderful 2014 World Cup and has mm-hmm. been generally pretty good for Argentina since then at but left back. exposed terribly. Hasn't played centre back for a good while and hasn't has barely played, played at all yeah. for Manchester United this season and is is shut straight into this game. Yeah. Um, it was it's just yeah. a strange, strange uh, game plan for me. I mean, that was one side of it in defence. Kind of, you had a whole middle section which, in trying to make up their own physical limitations, let's say, and and push, left the whole team ragged, out of position really, really open on the break. The mm. flip side of that was trying to play from the back, which is, as we know, our, our mainstay of San Paoli's game. But you're trying to do it with two centre-backs who aren't natural ball players. You're doing it with a goalkeeper in Willy Kawashiro, who isn't really a natural ball player. And, and two defensive midfielders, who again, won't give you much more than a than a five-yard sideways pass. And I saw it against Italy as well. The amount of times that Argentina were caught out, you know, sim- just simply playing it from the back. And that's that can't happen in a team that plays out from the back. You watch a Barcelona or a Spain, these teams that do it, and that doesn't happen. And that's the really worrying thing for, for me if, if I was the Argentina coach. The good news is... Um, I believe in the long run, this is a result, well, long run, say up to the World Cup, so medium, short-term run. It's a result that that could prove a blessing in disguise because if I'm Sampaoli and I've watched this game, I can chalk off four players easily from from my squad that maybe I was having doubts about, and, you know, players that aren't the easiest to, to eliminate because of their records with Argentina and... It possibly it poses a lot of questions, but but it definitely answers a lot of questions as well. You hinted there at some of the players who who perhaps shouldn't be in the squad, but are difficult for for managers to leave out, or at mm-hmm. least have proven difficult for managers to leave out until now. And one of the things that I realised, uh, well, that I noticed on Twitter during the second half was lots of Argentine journalists as the goals were raining in, sort of saying, you know, one of the things that we have to learn from Spain and Germany is that both of them reinvented themselves. Um, between tournaments and, and and knew when the moment was was there to do it. And I, mm-hmm. I, on the one hand, it's much much easier for a nation in Europe um, whose key players are mostly playing in that country mm-hmm. for one or two of the biggest clubs in that country to do that because you know they have a certain amount of connection with those clubs, youth systems, the the Spanish national team. Um, benefits very directly from Real Madrid's and Barcelona's youth systems for example oh, completely. If you look the German at... national team benefits enormously from Bayern's 
A, youth system and B, ability to pull all of their best players into one team mm-hmm. if anybody happens to be playing really well in the Bundesliga outside Munich. Um, the English national team increasingly is doing it as well, you know, centralising that and, and is getting better. I don't think um, mm-hmm. that England stand any more of a chance of winning the World Cup than Argentina do this mm-hmm. season, uh, this year. Um, but, but they're benefiting from it as well. French, uh, perhaps a bit slightly more between the two, um, the, the European powers and, and the South mm-hmm. Americans in that they have a lot of their best players playing outside France as well. But you have, you know, and I think there's a lack of recognition there as well in terms of the punditocracy, if you will, in Argentina, where people are going, oh, this whole thing has to be torn up and reinvented and we have to start again from zero. It's like, well, how do you start from zero when River and Boca don't have a near monopoly on, by any means, on on talented youth development and when any talented youth who is coming through is already going to have European clubs looking at him by the time he's 20, Lautaro Martinez, let's say. In a way, Argentina are lucky that he's going to be here for, for that long until after the World Cup. Um, and, and so to that extent it, it genuinely is difficult to drop them but on the other hand when you look at what Mascherano did today and you look at the fact that there have been alternatives for a while and that Mascherano hasn't even played in midfield as he himself <laughs> said when he moved to China he went to Hebei Fortune so that he could play in midfield again because he hasn't played there for five or six years so why is anybody still considering him to be a midfielder? I don't know I mean he, he shouldn't be in the squad at all Anymore. No, yeah. if he if I he really has doubt to, about that. if he really has to be, then he shouldn't be in the squad as a midfielder for absolute certain because that was really what I thought killed Argentina's momentum. Yeah, so. going back to um, to what you said about the players, you know, know getting to know each other, playing together. Um, I looked at the Spain team at kickoff, and I believe every single player, like every single outfield player at least, came from only four clubs. You had nine from Barcelona. Atletico and Madrid and the outlier was Thiago Alcantara who obviously is no stranger to Barcelona either having done Mm. having played his entire life there before moving to Germany Uh, compare that to Argentina Argentina's outfield who I believe was composed of players from nine different clubs in six or seven different countries so it's obviously a problem because even you say, you know, ah, you've got people from Madrid and people from Barcelona, like they're not playing in the same club, but they play each other almost every week. You see, with Ramos and Piquet, they might be rivals, they might hate each other, they might throw shit at each other in the press, but they know each other inside out, and that's why both of them, without you know being classic, classic defenders, they do the job because each one knows exactly where the other's going to be. Yeah, and you know, uh, somebody who's a little bit of a cynic about these things would also like to add that that's in spite of Sergio Ramos being a demonstrably fucking awful defender, in yes. my opinion. And yet today he got his 150th cap for Spain and has won several European Cups and uh, the World Cup and two European Championships and everything. So I realise that I don't necessarily have statistics backing me up here. No, I know what you mean, but um, what Argentina wouldn't give for uh, Sergio Ramos. Precisely, precisely. Um, other than Mascherano, are there any other players who've played their last games for Argentina? Willy Cavachero, for instance? Willy was a little bit unlucky today. Rubbish, though, as well. He, no, I'm lucky, unlucky for another reason. Because after playing really well against Italy, I think that if Romero had just got through the game as normal, I don't know, it might have finished 1-0, it might have finished 5-0 to Argentina, 5-0 to same, whatever, whatever the result. Well, it wouldn't have if, finished 5-0 to Argentina because 
Spain score. No, I'm no, talking about from kickoff. Right. Anyway, ah, okay, this is all kind of uh, just a supposition, let's say. Mm-hmm. If Cavachero just sat on the bench, not got up, not had to go on because of Romero's injury, uh, he would most likely be going to the World Cup. But now, after kind of showing his true colours, which is that of a fairly mediocre pedestrian goalkeeper, you reckon? Uh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't add too much, and he was really badly at fault for for a lot of those goals. I'd much rather see uh, Guzman or Marchesim, Rulin, Ruli, someone like that, to be honest. Yeah, Cavachero faced five shots on target and conceded yes. five goals in the basically 70, well, 69 minutes he was on the pitch because there was one minute of stoppage time at the end of the first half. Should we look at where... And no stoppage time at the end of the second because the referee took pity on Argentina. But, yeah, it was... Uh, Romero got a boot in the, in the knee, basically. Mm. We've just seen the replay of it on the television. Um, does this strengthen Romero's place then? It does, yeah. <laughs> so suddenly nobody's going to be, you know, holding up anybody else as being Argentina's main man. You know? He must have a voodoo doll or something because he just gets his rivals out of the way. It's it's quite it's quite amazing. I mean, it also helps that he is, has generally tended to be a more reliable goalkeeper than uh, perhaps certain people of. Uh, in, in, in the media and, and in the fandom have, have held him up to be oh yeah because obviously it's understandable that, that people are uneasy about having a, a national team number one who isn't first choice by any means at yeah. any of the clubs that he's been at pretty much apart from that season when Sampdoria were in the second division Cavachero's um, hardly the answer to that though is no well precisely and the other thing is that Cavachero is older and you know Cavachero had his moments when he was at Malaga he, yeah he's not a bad you know, keeper at all but he's not should have been called up and someone who's going to change yeah uh, in, in a way because Sam, uh, Sam Pauli Sabella didn't want um, didn't want the the argument he wanted his number one to be undisputed because of the fact that Romero was so important to the group um, and so in that sense certainly Cavachero has been unfortunate but uh, today was I mean everything that went well we've just literally I'm saying this as we've just seen on, on ESPN a, a replay of a horrendous clearance which led to Spain's that's the second goal I that's think the second um, you know everything that went well against Italy his distribution is what I was about to say when this came on um, today was going badly he passes it straight to, to a Spain player mm-hmm. and two passes later you have a goal not helped as we say by the fact that Otamendi and Rojo spent an awful lot of the match standing around like training cones as if they'd been <laughs> given some money by Spain to just uh, not really put up very much resistance um, so it was a thoroughly bizarre performance no, I mean tactically I, I don't think that's, that anything that Sam Paolo was aiming to do it has, has sort of actually come off properly because we were told or you know before this tour started that Sam Paolo wanted to have a look at three different uh, systems uh, during these two matches one was the 4-2-3-1 which we saw against Italy and then the others were four three three, and a four four two. We haven't seen the four four two at any point. No. Um, and I at the we... end today when Martinez and Pavon were on, that was sort of four four two. Oh, if you want to call Pavon a, a forward, as I mean, I know he's playing there for Boca at the moment. Then yeah, I guess so. But um, debate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the game was already lost and everything had and, gone and that, to pot by then. But. And that was the other thing. I mean, I can understand that the the injury to Messi when clearly he wanted Messi to play at least one of these games mm-hmm. um, and, and was hoping it would be against Spain. Um, I can understand that that sort of throws a spanner in the works. Obviously, Lanzini would have, would have got more of a run out in the second match, as we said, if he hadn't picked up his own injury. Um, 
But the the four three three today. I mean, so first of all, presumably Argentina aren't going to be playing four three three again because it, it just it was disjointed. Even if the game had just finished two one to Spain, even if Argentina had kept things tighter at the back of the mm-hmm. second half and snatched an equaliser, uh, and it ended two two, the four three three just didn't seem to be gelling together properly at all. At least with those three in midfield, it wasn't. Um, but then we didn't see. I mean, the players who came on in the second half, as you already mentioned. Lautaro Martinez of Racing, Christian Pavon of Boca Juniors, Gabriel Mer- uh, sorry Marcos Acuna at left back to replace Tagliafico. Okay, he's a player that that San Paoli knows a bit more. Pablo he did Perez. a couple of things when he came on Acuna. He wasn't as disastrous as Pablo Perez replacing Eder Banega. All of these substitutions were made. I think I'm right in saying. Oh, sorry, Perez might have come on. Yeah, so Perez came on at three-one. Yeah, no, he didn't. No, all of them were made when it was 4-1 yeah. uh, already. About 20 minutes, 25 minutes left. I mean, if you want to have a proper look at Lautaro Martinez, mm-hmm. why send him on when you're 4-1 down and the, team, and the momentum has already gone against the team? Why, why isn't that a half-time substitution? It was a sub to make it a half-time, totally. When Argentina still in the game. So far off the pace. Yeah, but, mm. but I mean, mm. even if Higuain had scored the Argentine goal and, and it looked decent, if you want to have a look at a player ahead of the World Cup, then... Send him on before you're being completely humiliated, and, yeah. and just and it's a case of damage limitation. Um, it, it seemed very strange. I, I don't think that Martinez's World Cup hopes have necessarily been damaged by it because no, no, they haven't changed. It would be ridiculous if they yeah. were, apart from anything. I mean, the, the, the circumstances were against him. But as, as I said on Twitter, and we had a, a very brief conversation about it when he came on, I felt sorry for him the moment he came on because I thought, I mean, Iguain himself wasn't getting any service. Mm. He, he missed one good chance. Fairly early on in the first half, when the score, I think it was nil-nil, it might have been 1-0 to Spain already. Um, of, of the sort that, I will say, it's not like no great strikers ever miss no, easy chances. I mean, Higuain gets it in the neck every single time he does. But, you know, he, he's, he's playing at the level he's playing at for a reason. Um, but you have to admit, I mean, it, it was a he is playing at the level, but when was the last time he had? Did play well for Argentina. Yeah, no, sure. But, but, I mean, he's not the only one who's played badly. Obviously, and it's, it was a, a, very it was a tough, tough finish process. But it, but it was just that kind of you know that 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 thing. But other than that, after then, he didn't really have any service at all. So mm. for everybody to go, oh, he's had an absolutely dreadful game. So I thought, well, no, not really. He just he was never at any point in that game. The the one time that he was, he wasn't able to finish it. But for the vast majority of the rest of the sixty-ish minutes that he was on the pitch. Um, he, he didn't have anything to do because he wasn't getting, getting any balls played to. And, and then the same thing was clearly going to happen for Lavdara Martinez as well. So I sort of thought, well, in a way, what's the point? I, I say this again as we're watching replays of Lavdara Martinez hitting the post with a, a header. What the it was. You reckon? Because for me, I think Martinez got a, got a head to it just ahead of him. I know the commentators and everybody said it was mm. Otamendi, but I, I thought it was Martinez. No, it was I'd just say... sort of a bit of a. It's a hiding to nothing, and how much are you going to learn about any of those players? As I say, Acuna he knows about already, but Martinez and Pavon in particular. Mm. I, I suppose Pavon had had relatively uh, dignified, let's say, appearances in the mini tour of Russia uh, back in yeah, November. But I mean, really, you're not going to decide, make a decision about whether they're going to be in the squad or not based on the 20, 25, 30 minutes and they were on the pitch today. No, but going back to Iguain Martinez, this centre-forward role, I'd say, for me, the biggest criticism I could make for Iguain doesn't come from the mischances. It's the fact that 
he just doesn't look comfortable in that solitary mm. centre forward position yeah. and he never really has uh, he's not a good player with his back to goal he's not particularly good playing 30 yards from goal he hasn't got the best link play you know when he's pushed yeah and he doesn't close down defenders so in this system that Sambaoli set on play Aguero I can't see him working Aguero is the, the main number far nine. away the, num- the main number nine and, and I saw even yeah. this, uh... and I saw even when um, Lautaro Martinez came on like, stop me please if uh, if the Racing shirt's coming through a bit here but he didn't do much he might have touched the ball four times if he was lucky but he did chase down the defenders he put Spain under a little bit of pressure he drew fouls around the box which ultimately didn't come to anything and that's kind of what Argentina need uh, if they're going to take you down around the box uh, it's, they should draw a foul mm. and yeah. in, the, in, the, in the absence of Messi you can't really ask too much more from, from your forwards because they're not going to get a hell of a lot of service in the box there are two players who we haven't mentioned, believe it or not, only two from the starting line. I believe one. One of whom was indisputable. Argentina's yep. best player. The other of whom, I think, given that he didn't really stand out as being awful and was really quite good against Italy, um, might have made it into the squad. That the latter is Giovanni Lo Celso, um, who I thought was today, sort of in the circumstances, fine. Especially in the first half, he had a very good first half, and then he kind of got caught up in the general malaise and after the after half time. Yeah, but and yeah, he, very very positive debut from Messa. And against um, Italy, sorry to go back to Lo Celso, he um, linked very well with Lanzini as well, yes. which obviously Lo Celso wouldn't have been playing if it weren't for the um, the injury to Messi. So mm-hmm. how much we've actually learned from this, we don't know. But the Argentine man of the match. Uh, <laughs> If there was such a thing on Tuesday, was Maxi Mesa, the independiente um, gentleman. I want to say winger. He's sort of a box-to-box midfielder mm-hmm. slash wide. Well, he plays for independiente, tends to play wide left as an inside mm-hmm. forward, cutting in onto his left foot. Argentina put, put him out as a left winger um, on, on the left-hand side, and he indeed was the one who put in that cross for Higuain early on. Um, he kept on going even in the second half. There was another couple of chances that he could have created if there'd been somebody in the box to, to centre it to um, during the second half. And Do you think he could come into this team as an actual kind of box-to-box central midfielder though? Because that's what no. Argentina really needs. No. I, I, so he's another winger he, He's going to be somebody 20 that Argentina have to choose from. Because he's, he's playing, I mean he was very good for Gimnasia um, before signing for Independiente mm-hmm. in that kind of role, but where he has hit the, the heights that have taken him into the national team have been in wide areas. Um, and so I, I'd be surprised if he's employed as, as, as that kind of midfielder Typical. but then who do you send in Pablo Perez who went on for the last half hour yeah that was a strange one but again Sampaoli clearly wanted to look at everybody yeah. with the exception of the, the other goalkeeper who didn't play who was um, Noel Guzman um, at some point in these two games and so I think that was what happened he'd, he'd always planned to make these changes at this time and the game sort of got away from it um, and it's a shame in a way. I mean, I don't think that Pablo Perez deserves to be in the Argentina squad. I, didn't, I don't no. think he deserved to be in it when Sampaoli made the call-ups. I don't think he's been... I mean, he's, he's having a good season. 
but he hasn't he isn't having that good a season if, if, if you see what I mean um, but I think it's almost unfair to him to give him the chance in inverted commas when it's not really yeah a it was a strange one that it was strange throwing him into a midfield that's already being completely overrun um, and Biglia are we going to I mean Biglia I'm, I'm going to defer to um to the opinion of my girlfriend Nana, who didn't watch this match because she's out at the moment, but uh, she came in for the last few minutes of of Argentina Italy. So Bilia, so I guess Bilia's still playing, but what's he do? He's like this player who's always there and he doesn't actually do anything. It's like why? Why is he there? And it's very hard to uh, to give an answer. I think he's broke into an opposition penalty area once with Argentina yeah. to score a goal against Colombia possibly and apart from that he's picked up what must be about 60 caps now without really ever making a tackle or giving a decent pass or anything it's, it's a very strange one it seems to be that kind of player who he's, since he doesn't really do anything in any of the clubs he's at either I believe he's in Milan now right? Yes, indeed. And, and he Milan has, definitely aren't pulling up any trees. Your off-the-top-of-your-head estimation was remarkably good, by the way, because he's picked up 57 caps. There you go. So, well done. Um, now, I, I think that if you know if Argentina want to be this team who are going to care for the ball um, mm-hmm. and, and look to dominate possession and, and play their way through teams and stuff, if Biglia's going to be in the team, I think he has to be the number five, the defensive midfielder. Oh yeah, you can't have anyone um, more defensive that, than Bilier at least, I mean, at he, the very least. He moves the ball a little more positively than Mascherano does, and he's certainly playing better than Mascherano is at the moment, and That's on a higher level. <laughs> it's a low bar to clear, it's a low bar to clear, yeah. but given Argentina's sort of lack, really, of central midfielders overall, I would say Bilier probably ought to be playing that role, not in a double five, as they call it here, um, but as, as the five. One name I heard floated around the Twitterverse after halftime, uh, full-time even, mm-hmm. Ascasiva. I've not seen very much of him since he went to... Me neither. Wherever he went to. He's in Germany, I believe. Is, Is he? Not, uh, Hoffenheim, possibly. Fascinating. Let me yeah. Google him again, quickly. <laughs> Let's see whether my telephone uh, has some problems with his surname. It's a shame, really, that um, that Kranaviter never, well, hasn't yet made it to where everyone thought he was going to make it, because I believe he was Stuttgart. Stuttgart, Stuttgart. Was very close. And yeah, Kranaviter seems to have fallen off the the radar somewhat since, ironically, since going to Jorge Sampaoli Sevilla on loan from mm-hmm. Atlético. Well, he's um, a Zenit now, he's right? He's now yeah. a Zenit, yeah. Which you know, everyone knows what happens when people go to Russia. Indeed. Uh, well, it's an old gulag joke, but in football terms. Haha, indeed. Uh, it will be happening to all of them uh, if indeed. they do 6-1 in Russia. Uh, but as Sampaoli said after the game, it's better that it happens now than during the World Cup. Oh well, yeah, it's a platitude, Which is easy to say. true, yeah. It's also not going to say it's worse, is he? Let's, but let's be what, what are the lessons that they can... It, it was, by the way, Argentina's joint worst defeat ever. Um, they lost mm-hmm. 6-1 to Czechoslovakia in the 1958 World Cup and rather more recently 6-1 I keep on saying things just as they come up on your television this is getting very annoying 6-1 to Bolivia in La Paz um, for the 2010 World Cup qualifiers mm-hmm. when of course they didn't have a manager 
Um, so it was Riquelme's last World Cup game, wasn't it? Possibly. Uh, last international game. Was it? Really? It was either his last or it was the first of his retirement around there. Yeah, we'll look that up during the break. The player who's never been adequately pl- replaced by Argentina, by my luck. To my liking. No, indeed. And the reason why Messi has never won a World Cup, because he's never had that creative partner that Riquelme could have been. Well, possibly, but he's also, as we keep saying, never really had any of the central midfielders behind him. Um, no, of course, with, yeah. and, and this is, you know, it's part of the, the whole thing about Banega, is that people, when Banega's not playing, people go, oh, Banega's the one who has to be giving <laughs> Messi the ball to get it further up the pitch, and then Banega plays and puts in 60 good minutes and then 30 quite bad ones or whatever. Or um, vice versa. Indeed. Um, and so, yeah, it, it just, it, it's, it's, it makes it frustrating to watch, even though neither of us are Argentine. Obviously, we you know, sympathise with the national team because we live here and we earn our money from, from writing about them and stuff, so we want them to do well. Um, but really, central midfielders, okay, in this squad, the central midfielders, were Lucas Biglia, Javier Mascherano, Eber Banega, uh, Pablo Perez... Perhaps he, I mean, he sort of, because of the role he sort of played at Racing, Marcos Acuna, possibly you could mm. use him there. Um, Leandro Paredes, who I think against Italy played himself out of the World Cup spot, frankly. He, he, you reckon? I'd never been that impressed by him anyway, but he got forward absolutely zero times against Italy. As I say, when Banega replaced him, it was night and day, and it almost immediately mm. led to the opening goal. I thought that was a, a fine illustration of. of what Paredes wasn't doing. He seemed just to be being a bit too careful. He didn't want to take any risks. Um, and that's, funnily enough, I think it, it sums up all of the, the midfielders I've just mentioned, in a way, including Banega himself, who felt a bit more comfortable, perhaps, in an Argentina shirt than Paredes did when he replaced yeah. him. But and I think more personally, none of starts. them play particularly well together. And none would, of them complement each other. Who would we call up to... To replace those, you know. If I mean, you're the thing is, you're two months away from the World Cup, and precisely. there's not that many more players that you can call on. It's it really is a tough one for Argentina because because there just isn't those players aren't out there really. Right. I yeah. believe that I am right in saying. I'm just going to check this before saying it, okay? Because I'm a professional, of course. A professional um, would have researched before that. Ah, no, I'm, I'm not right. So I was going to semi-seriously um, suggest Esteban Cambiaso, but he has retired. Yes. He retired very recently, at the end of last season. Um, and there's Fernando Gago, but he is, of course, injured. Yeah, and also he's Fernando Gago. He's not been... And he will be injured. Indeed. Um, so that two, three, if we use both tenses of the injury, um, three big problems there to his... Um, uh, call up yes it, it's just bizarre to see Argentina we have talked about it in the past in, in you know last year we mentioned it a few times when Argentina were um, on international breaks and we were discussing the, the national team but but how few central midfielders there are when you consider what a machine for churning out central midfielders Argentina used to be and what a machine it is it still for churning out attackers yeah um, it, it's, I suppose it's nice that we've got some fullbacks now in, in the mould of sort of Tagliafico, for instance, who almost scored a quite nice goal against Italy. Yeah. I can't remember the last time that I saw a fullback for Argentina getting forward that frequently. In fact, that's a lie. I can remember it. It was when Sorin was, was playing for them. But the problem is, if you don't have a midfield, 
that quickly becomes a liability. Precisely, yeah, which is, it's I, I the, assume... It's the short blanket syndrome again. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and I, I presume that that's why when you mentioned Bustos and Tapia Fico towards the start of the podcast, you mentioned that it wasn't entirely their fault that they had had sort of mixed performances yeah. because I thought they were both good going forward. Tapia Fico was better going forward than Bustos, but I suppose that's to be expected because he's that little bit more experienced and he's now playing in Europe and he's, by all accounts, I've got... We haven't been able to watch much Eredivisie here, but uh, by all accounts, he's been doing very well in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to be on the plane to Russia. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. I suspect that Bustos will be as well, because we know he's a player some Pauli likes. But yeah, and, and behind and, Mercado, there's no one else. Yeah, and, and then for, for centre-backs, Otamendi surely is going to be, in spite of the nightmare he had today, yeah, because he's clearly there. Argentina's best centre-back. Yeah. You think Fascio will probably be there because he did all right against Italy? Yeah, and he hasn't just been completely yeah. humiliated by Spain. Um, Rojo, there has to be a big question mark yes. over now, given that Huge. it's the first time Sampaoli's looked at him. Sampaoli was said not to be a big fan of him um, when he became Argentina manager. His injuries kept him out until now, and then he's involved in that. Romero, one would think, is the undisputed number one goalkeeper again. Yes. Um, and then beyond that, it's all up in the air and it all very much depends on whether Lionel Messi is fit or not, which it always did anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. You think, let's be fair, if these two games were a World Cup semi-final and final, Messi would have played, let's say. He's clearly been, mm. uh, been wrapped in cotton wool ahead of the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, of course, and, and rightly so as well. Yeah. I mean, particularly coming into the key parts of the season for his club as well. Nobody wants him to get hurt nah. at this stage because they decided to, to risk him when he, when he was a bit tired and, and had a bit of, I say tired, when, his, when his, the muscles in his legs were a bit tired because it was muscular fatigue that kept him out apparently. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a break now and refill our glasses and when we come back we will answer some listeners' questions. There's not an awful lot of, of domestic stuff to talk about. Oh, there's one very big domestic story to talk about off the pitch though so mm-hmm. we will do that as well. talking about a result which lots of people are going to be um, very angry about when I'm going to move on to something which which all those people actually should be much more angry about and which surprisingly or depressingly not that surprisingly um, nowhere near as many people actually give a toss about Mm. Um, it's impossible not to mention it though and it is the story that came out last week um, and which is ongoing and which has lots of legal Complications and Hand of Pods, although we make occasional jokes and references about it, it doesn't actually have any lawyers, so we're going to be slightly careful about what we're saying, but we have checked all of this out. Uh, we took a slightly extended break in order to do so and to update ourselves on the situation. Last week, it came to light that, uh, reported, I think, by Gustavo Gravia originally, who's yes. the, the bloke who uh, covers uh, the Barra Bravas and so on. I believe it, it not? was just after us recording. Yeah. Might have been on Wednesday night or something like that. That's, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not related to the, the Bad Rabbit Rabbers. Um, it was reported that 
a member of one of Independiente's youth teams, a 16 or 17 year old, had basically broken down in front of the club's or one of the club's psychologists um, and had told him that for some time he and some of his friends in Independiente's youth system had been taking money uh, to have sex and give sexual favours to older men. Um, and that this whole thing was run by a kid who, a 19-year-old, I think he was. It's a 19-year-old who'd been out of action, means uh, he was, of course, an independent, now he's been sacked, an independent youth player. Yeah, he was in the reserves. Who had been injured, and since he was injured, couldn't play, couldn't earn much money, he'd been staying in like the team's accommodation, which um. is usually for younger players from from the interior, because obviously yeah. they come to Independiente, which is in Avashenea, Greater Buenos Aires, but these kids come from Córdoba, they come from Tucumán, Santa Veletero, which are places, you know, thousands of kilometres away from Buenos Aires, and they obviously come a lot of times with very little money, and they need places to stay, obviously. Indeed. Um, so basically the, the accusation is that this... Uh this older kid had been recruiting them into a prostitution ring, mm -hmm. basically. Um, one of the people, one of the customers of this prostitution ring is called, I need to check the name again because I don't want to get it wrong, it's Martin called Bustos. Martin Bustos. Um, he is a... No relation to Fabricio, no, I should say. Uh, not as far as we know. Uh, we completely I think that would have come to light. Yeah. Yes, that would probably have been mentioned, so we're going to assume that he's no relation. Uh, he is a match official registered at the AFA. He has refereed lower division games, and he was due uh, just... Um, he's run the line a few this, times in This coming weekend. Yeah. He, was, he was due to, to referee the San Martin match, I think it was. I can't remember who they're playing against, but their name is stuck in my head for some reason. Um, this coming weekend, he's obviously been taken off that by the AFA. Um, he is one of two people who have so far been detained by the police. The other person detained by the police is his lawyer, who, in order to destroy evidence, smashed up Bustos's uh, cellular telephone uh, with a hammer. Perhaps not most intelligent or most digital savvy lawyer um, in the world, but there it's we sort have. Sort of a My Cousin Vinny move, if you like. But, you know. Indeed, yeah. Um, this is obviously a absolutely horrendous um, story. It is one that, you know, anybody with a modicum of common sense would look at and think, well, if we're hearing about it just now for Independiente, then presumably it's happening at other clubs as well. It is one that the district attorney or the public prosecutor, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on, um, whose name is on the other page that I've got open here, what's she called? Um, Maria Soledad Garibaldi. Uh, is says that she's quite convinced it's happening in other clubs as well. Um, she also says that uh, it could be an aggravating cause that this um, official Bustos is HIV positive mm -hmm. and has been doing things of a sexual nature with these young kids. Yeah, under Argentine law, basically in any sort of sexual offence, be it rape, sexual assault, uh, statutory rape, Whatever, um, the fact that you have a, a contagious, you know, serious sexually transmitted disease and don't inform your sexual partners at the moment of intercourse is something that will get you more time in jail. Yeah, I, I believe that that's the case in the UK as well. I mean, even Possibly, if it's yeah, consensual sex at the time, but you don't tell them. I might be mistaken there, but um, certainly it is in Argentina. Yeah. Um, we're not going to spend a long time discussing this and we're not going to sort of give our thoughts on it because I think it's pretty obvious that 
although Hannah Pod prefers to remain politically neutral as far as officialdom goes, um, we're definitely against child rape and child prostitution. Yes, yes we, we are. want to make that very clear. Um, but also, I mean, there's not really. I, I suspect that we're going to have fairly similar opinions of, of what's going on, Dan. Um, and so I can't see the point of, of really batting it back and forth for an awful lot of time. But are there any other details that we haven't mentioned that you... Oh, there's this bloke, the PR bloke for... Um, so one of the other people, one of the other customers is, is said to be this, this chap, Leonardo Cohen Arasi, uh, who is a PR for at least four nightclubs in the city of Buenos Aires, which when I heard about it, which was a few days ago, and then I've forgotten, and we found him again just now by Googling, um, yeah, these are the kind of immediately made me think. Well, this possibly goes a long way beyond football in that case. Yeah, these are the kind of names. I mean, obviously, I don't like to speculate too gratuitously, but every now and then in Argentina, uh, these uh, accusations of you know VIP prostitution rings with people, especially you know uh, girls, especially who have been in uh, programs like Big Brother and. And, it's, and have got a little bit of media exposure and do kind of glossy magazine shoots of the type of magazines I'm sure that our readers can imagine uh, are often implicated in in these kind of scandals and more often than not there's a there's a guy like this uh, this fella Cohen Narasi who kind of acts as the link obviously if we're talking about minors it's a whole other ball game, and it's a hell of a lot more serious. It's not a, it's not a subject for the gossip pages. It's it's a criminal offence, because I believe it's not. Well, it's neither here nor there. Whether Pimping prostitution, isn't a criminal offence in Argentina. No, I mean prostitution. prostitution no, like, I, I don't yeah. think it is. Um, and as we were talking a little bit at the break, obviously without being able to do anything, say anything concrete, we kind of can imagine that this might not end with independiente because you've got a situation where you have a lot of kids uh, living in club accommodation who are vulnerable, they're living away from home, they get paid very little and and they will be exposed to, or they could well be exposed to this kind of situation. So It is worth clarifying in case any of Independiente's lawyers are particularly are listening but oh, also, no, Independiente had also to, nothing to, do with it. Yeah. To, to make sure that we're reporting it as accurately as possible um, that as soon as the, uh, the, the the original kid whose name I'm not sure about obviously it's not been reported for legal reasons um, told the psychologist uh, psych- psychologist psychiatrist I'm getting mixed up the, the, the head doctor as it were um, about this he then immediately went to the police and reported it. There is no suggestion that anybody at Independiente officially um, had a clue what was going on. It was all no. run by this, as you say, this, this kid who got injured and was staying in the youth yeah. accommodation. But um, the fact they didn't have a clue what was going on doesn't exactly no, cover them in praise either. It does open these questions that we don't want to talk about really, but I believe that now this case has come up, it does need to be tackled. Uh, by major football clubs and what is going because, on in their youth ranks and it should be because as, as I mentioned while we were on the break and, and Dan and I were talking about this this is a story that you know in, in particularly I guess in, in countries like the UK and the United States increasingly this stuff is in the news the UK uh, you know we, we've just had a big or there's just been a big um, mm-hmm. child abuse scandal in football it's, it's 
semi-ongoing. Um, the States as well, right? With the doctor who had the gymnasts. I have not heard about Oh, yes, of course. I heard, I'd only heard about that in passing, but you're quite right. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that often gets brushed under the carpet in Argentina. I have, while I've been here, I've been watching television talk shows um, on sports channels in which people have accused certain very, very, very famous names in Argentine football history. I'm thinking about a name that everybody listening to this podcast will have heard of, um, of being a paedophile. Um, and it the response in this particular talk show, which I'm discussing, uh, basically was that everybody sort of went, oh, you reckon really him? And then they just talked about something else. They didn't go, hang on a second. What, do you have evidence of this? You're saying you heard this from one of your friends. Like, where's this from? There was no discussion of it, and it never became a news story afterwards. Um, we have the story of, of Bambino, uh, Hector Bambino Veira, who is a former, I think midfielder, wasn't it, or something? It doesn't really matter. But he was a former footballer um, for San Lorenzo, for Huracan, both sides of the divide there. And then later on, um, took over as a manager, San Lorenzo, Veresasfield, River, San Lorenzo again, uh, Cadiz in Spain, Boca Juniors, Bolivia. Lanús, he was old boys later in his career, um, and who in 1987, sorry, 1991, uh, was found guilty of raping a 13-year-old boy, was sentenced to six years in jail, was let out for who knows what, good behaviour maybe, a year later, 1992, and immediately walked straight back into his job as manager of San Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, I should clarify, he wasn't working for San Lorenzo prior to that. He was actually working for Cadiz, by the look of it, when he was, when he was prosecuted. And he was um, now a commentator for TNT, I believe. Yes, he is. You're quite right. I forgot about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- th- this is something that um, isn't talked about as much as certainly Anglophones might say should be talked about mm-hmm. and isn't held up as being as shameful as it should be. I realise that there's a certain amount of colonialism in those statements, when you're European and you come to Latin America and you say you should do things the way we do. But as I say, raping 13-year-old boys is or girls is definitely not right. It's not. Um, no, and yet Bambino Vera continues to be somebody who's accepted, pretty much, in, in yeah. the Argentine community. Um, so apologies for that. Much less cheerful than normal um, foray into the genuinely dark side of Argentine football and society and there were there our listeners were thinking that Argentina's 6-1 defeat was the the gloomiest thing of the day absolutely um, it could be much worse as, as we've just illustrated uh, but here are some listeners questions to try and lift the mood a little bit and they're mm. mostly about one thing surprisingly yes Dan Williamson says have these two internationals helped Jorge Sampaoli to make his mind up regarding the squad slash starting 11 or pose more questions than answers I think the latter. <laughs> yeah, as I said when we were when we were kind of doing our post mortem a bit earlier, I believe these two friendlies, uh, and especially this game we've just watched, will help him more in the sense of who not to take to the World Cup than who to take. Mm. As yeah, yeah, it's all been said. There's quite a few names now, but the um, be crossed off. One of the things that, that Veronica Brunati. Um, mentioned on, on TNT very shortly after the match um, was that Sampaoli prior to these two matches said I've got 80% of the squad already in my head mm-hmm. and she said I think now he, if he's got 50% of the squad in his head he's, he's lucky because there are a load of names that all of a sudden are not guaranteed or that or ought to be after that performance against Spain yeah I think uh, yeah. Ron Matron says do you think Iguain has done enough to be in the World Cup squad for the national team 
I'd say he was already in the squad, but on that showing, he hasn't convinced anyone who might have thought he shouldn't be in the squad that he should be in the squad. Over the course of his career, I think he's done enough. I think it's yeah. obvious why he's there. Over these couple of matches, and as you said earlier, the last few matches really that he's played for Argentina in the last few years, uh, perhaps not. I don't, as I say, think that he's going to be the first choice. I think Aguero is, is going to be the first choice number nine. Um, Iguain is, is a useful figure to be able to call on if anything happens. Jamie, a related question, says... Why is Iguain so frustrating when he lines up for the national team? <laughs> There's such a contrast between his Juventus performances and his Argentina performances. He's almost like a completely different player. In Argentina, he's being asked to play a role that he doesn't really feel comfortable with. In Juventus, it's a lot easier for him, I think. Uh, he plays exclusively kind of down that middle channel. The ball comes to him, uh, usually in fairly decent Roles, he doesn't he's, have to he's be... playing for a team who are far better than pretty much everybody else in the division. Uh, yes, and, and a team so that have played... Lots yeah, of chances for and him. a team that have played together without too many changes for the last six years, definitely. Mm. And, yes, yeah, different expectations. Um, when he takes a field for Argentina, he's expected to do a lot more with and without the ball. And uh, on the evidence of these last two games, at least... He's not particularly comfortable there. But well, the other thing is that I mean, against Italy at least, his his team play was was pretty good. He set up Argentina's second goal. He you say that, but look well again at the I'm go- not saying it was spectacular, but I mean, it was- you say that, but look again at the pass he gives Lancini. It's behind. Lancini has to stop, hmm. pull back, and he and he put in a a fantastic shot. If you're gonna give Iguain credit for that, it's it's a little yeah, bit... Yeah, but not just for that moment. The, the, the general link play was okay. At times, yeah. In the second bad. half, a little bit more, perhaps. Like, um, I'm still not convinced. Fernando says, just like Messi, Di Maria, Aguero, all of them, in reply to Jamie's uh, tweet, which I only mentioned. I would have ignored it. Just to say, I don't think that people like this still existed in 2018. So <laughs> saying that Messi's performances for Argentina aren't good enough. Come on, man. You're a dick. Stop it. <laughs> Uh, Nate Kubeta says thoughts on Maxi Mesa's debut good we've we've given them and uh, within the context of it being in a 6-1 defeat um, he he was almost the only Argentina player going forward who escaped with any dignity certainly of those who started the match el Uh, mejorcito indeed as you'd say in in Spanish a little best a little best um Wayward from Hayward says how is the Lo Celso experiment going how, uh, and who will Argentina most likely drop points to in the World Cup group stage well Lo Celso as I said decent against Italy his link play against, uh, with Lanzini in particular was fine today got lost in the rabble of, of a very poor performance um, so I guess the jury is still out really particularly given that he's he only played against uh, Italy because Messi was injured and yeah, I'll put Lo Celso um, almost on the same standing as Messa right now. He's a guy that, if he was comfortable playing in that centre midfield, which gives Argentina so much trouble. I was about to say, could he play? He played there, I remember, against Russia at least, and he didn't particularly stand out. Yeah. But I don't see any reason why not. Mm. I think um, we've always got this idea in Argentina that the... But the double five, the double pivot has to be just 
player, you know, midfielders that defend and don't really yeah, do much. Yeah, defensive midfielders, which is actually the worst way of playing it. But you don't get that in elsewhere. Can you imagine Spain insisting on playing? I don't think Spain even have defensive midfielders like that. But people who give you absolutely no projection, like why? What is this Argentine obsession with putting two hard men? At the, well, it's the, the idea that you have to have specialists, doesn't it? That you have to yeah, I mean, but you can't do that anymore. And I mean, if I remember San Paoli's team for Chile, he definitely didn't have them. Mm. I mean, that kind of holding midfielder was Karim Medellin, and he dropped exactly. him back to centre centre back. And then he had, you know, the central midfielders yeah. were Arturo Vidal, and here come Chile, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and so forth. people who can actually play in central midfield. Um, who are Argentina most likely to drop points to in the World Cup group stage? Well, they did lose to Nigeria fairly recently. Yeah, and Nigeria looks so like they're in pretty good shape at the moment. Potentially them. Iceland are going to be dangerous again because they have absolutely nothing to lose. Dangerous, they'll be frustrating. But they have nothing to lose and they're demonstrably a better team than people think they are. Oh yeah, I'm not underestimating them, but um, dangerous I wouldn't say I I could see him really annoying Argentina and not letting anything go through. But. The point that I'm making, anyway, is that uh, who are they most likely to drop points to? It would not, after what happened today particularly, it wouldn't surprise me if they dropped points to any of them. Um, no, they're three teams that can, that can cause damage. It's, uh, um, it, it's something that, you know, if, if Messi is fit and, and firing and ready to go, there is no reason that Argentina can't still go a long way in the World Cup. But today's match was a wake-up call. I mean, teams yeah. who are going to be competing and, and who are going to be brushing aside opponents in the group stage don't tend to lose 6-1 uh, shortly no. before the World Cup, even if it is against a very, very, very good Spain side in Madrid. Um, Joseph Sexton says, First up, lads, commiserations. Watching tonight's friendly. If Argentina could take two or three of Spain's players for the World Cup, who would you choose? Out of the players who played today? Yeah, Iniesta. Who, who did play? Definitely Iniesta. Uh, Tiago Alcantara was another one and mm. who was the third one Coque was the other midfielder for Spain in the starting lineup. anyway I'll take a batch a batch of uh, Busquets Iniesta and David Silva mm. and I'll be happy well, no, Busquets even though those two didn't play Busquets. he's injured at the moment yes that's why and isn't Silva it? as well of course um, yeah, I'll be happy with those three. But yeah, I mean, basically it has to be the midfield because yeah. up front, Argentina are fine as long as they can create chances for those forwards. Yes. Um, and defensively, as they showed today, there are certainly some issues, but some of those as well would be significantly um, less issuey if they had a proper shield in front of them. Indeed. And they were, were capable of holding onto the ball and not giving it away in stupid positions. Um, Carlos Palacios says what do you guys think went wrong with the goalkeeper and defence who should get a look at who should I guess he means who should Sao Paulo get a look at between now and the World Cup well it, it's difficult for him to get a proper look at anybody because that was the last friendly when, when's the more. squad actually announced one more friendly not before the squad announced. Uh, not before the squad announced. no there's, you're thinking, there's a friendly in, in Israel against yes. Israel which Sao Paulo is not happy about because he'd rather play it in Barcelona where, where Argentina are going to be based for uh, the few weeks before flying to Russia for the World Cup um, but that's going to be after the squad that's going to be a week before the World Cup kicks off in fact uh, when is the squad announced it's going to be April right or May very early May possibly the short list would be end of April and yeah. the full squad in the end of May something like that the short list by the way which Sam Pauli previously said he was going to let the 23 players who are going to be definitely called up know 
and let the others know that they're sort of on a reserve list, if you will, because he doesn't want to do what he did with Chile last time and end up having to say sorry and goodbye to 15 different players who he always knew weren't going to be there. He felt it affected the work. After today's performance, again, you suspect that maybe he might consider some of those 15 to actually still be in with a shot. <laughs> um, who should he get a look at between now? Well, we, we mentioned Romero in goal and how he's possibly untouchable now after Caballero had this, but possibly Guzman, possibly uh, Andujar might, might come back into the thing. You've got to start looking at alternatives to Caballero all of a sudden again. And in defence... Maybe he should try trying to convince Ezequiel Garay to, to come out of international retirement for one last hurrah. I, I saw more than one Argentine journalist seemingly forgetting during the second half that Garay has, has all but retired. As told Sampaoli, <laughs> he doesn't want to be called up because he's, he can't physically take it anymore. He's, he's not exactly announced his international retirement, but effectively that's what he's done. Um, and, I mean, if I was Sampaoli, I'd, I'd be on the phone to him tomorrow and, and be saying, look, mate, I can understand not playing in the qualifiers. I can understand there's a lot of work to do during the season, but please, can you come back for just a couple of weeks for the World Cup? And just just try and get through some matches. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a rest for the third group game. I'll give you a rest for the round of 16. <laughs> if we get drawn against the team, we can hope to beat all the rest of it. But, but we need your quality because Argentina have so few options in that area. Yeah, there's not really anyone else. Uh, if Garay isn't going to make himself available, you've pretty much just got to go with with the players who are there and and then after that in central midfield I guess he's hoping, midfield, yeah. hoping like hell yeah. that Enzo Perez rediscovers his form at River maybe that Nacho Fernandez's recent revival turns out to be something rather than just a couple of good games as well because we know that, that San Paoli um, has looked at these players and has considered them in the past Neri um, Dominguez and Neri Cardos yeah that's the formula yeah, yeah. to win the I mean, we know he's watching a lot of racing as well it because is. He's called Lautaro Martinez. Well, after after only playing Lautaro for 20 minutes, it might take away his box. I don't know. Mm. He's going to have a rough ride if he wants to see Lautaro again. Indeed. We'll see. Um, just scrolling up through a few conversations before we get to the next one. Carlos, again, says, ah, here's a good one. Do you, do you think not ever giving Barrovero a chance was a missed opportunity? Considering how Cavachero and Marquesine weren't any good, I Benarovero was a really, really, really good shot stopper. As a River sympathizer, if River were to bring Benarovero back, well, right now, now they've got Armani, it's possibly not as vital. But if they had brought him back in January, which there was a very, very brief talk about trying to do, mm-hmm. um, I think it would have been excellent. But at international level for the World Cup, I am not as convinced. His his distribution's not bad, but it's not a major strength, and he's his positioning which was really Cavachero's main problem uh, today as well um, more than shot stopping per se uh, Barrovero's positioning isn't sort of at the elite end of what Argentina needs let's be honest then, as well Argentina's World Cup hopes don't hang on who's in goal no they hang, there's so many other problems with the team that who's in goal is almost academic mm. if they can solve the problems they've got outfield then the goalkeeper shouldn't be a problem. If they can't, then Romero is as good as anyone. Indeed. Um, Paul Richardson says, what can Sampaoli do about this defence? Tear it all up and start again? That was my suggestion if you look at the, the GIF I replied. Yes, no, I did. It's pronounced GIF, by the way. Ah, there we go. You've learned something new today. Um, 
Dreistreifen, who in spite of his German name appears to be an Argentina fan. I actually had to look at his um, Twitter profile earlier. He's from Hong Kong. Hello. Um, says, everyone is so focused on Dybala and Icardi missing these friendlies, but we really need to work our defence. I still think we can win it all. Do you? No. no you I mean, can. can I mean, yes, but... they got as much going a chance as anyone, but... Um, well, I think they probably have less less of a chance than Spain and Germany, and after the result today, Brazil, because I've I've remained sceptical about Brazil and said I want to see them actually playing against a proper team, um, in spite of you know that they've undoubtedly been much more entertaining to watch than probably at any point during my watching of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, after ending Germany's twenty-two match unbeaten run. Uh, to prevent them equaling their own all-time record, I believe, from 23. Um, yeah, you'd put, put, uh, you put Spain, you put Spain, Germany, and Brazil at, on the podium as the, the three likely World Cup winners, and behind them you've got possibly Argentina, Belgium, and maybe France, who would be long shots. Portugal? No. Nah. No. There we go. Cristiano Ronaldo is not going to win the World Cup. You heard it here first. No. If he wins the World Cup, I'll, I'll eat my face off. Which will be painful. That will be uh, one of the launches for the Hand of uh, Pod YouTube channel. We'll video Dan doing that. <laughs> I think we've probably struggled to get it past the censors if it happens, but, because it will be pretty disgusting. It will. Uh, but I think I'm safe too. I think I'm safe. Chris Hartley says, Dare I ask how the reaction to that result against Spain will be viewed in Argentina? The defence looks shambolic at best. It is being viewed as if the end of the world has happened. Yeah, if you've ever um, seen a Godzilla film and everyone's screaming and just smashing up stuff in the street, that's pretty much the general mood here at the moment. But it's also probably going to make a few people realise that it's going to be harder to win the World Cup than they think it is. As if we didn't already know that from what happened last time. Um, well, it's amazing because Argentina, in the space of an hour and a half on the Tuesday night, have gone from uh, likely World Cup winners to going home in the group stages. Mm. So, who knows what, what, where they'll be by June. Indeed. Um, John Ewan, will tonight's second half performance provide the wake-up call that San Paoli needs, or is it a fair reflection of their chances in the Boreal summer? Messi coming back isn't going to fix the defensive shambles. In a funny way, if Messi had been on the pitch, Spain wouldn't have been able to throw as much forward. That's that's the first thing I want to say. And then I think about the goals that were scored, and I think, actually, Spain weren't throwing that much forward when they scored most of those goals. It was like the the fourth or fifth, the the, the hair free kick that just went up the middle Mm. of the pitch and one touch from Aspas and knocked it past um, Cavachero was the least Spain goal ever scored. Um... And then there were various others where it was a case of sort of two Spain attackers getting in or around or in and around, to um, quote a cliche, the Argentine penalty box, with Argentina defenders either in a different postcode altogether or just in the box in front of them, but standing completely still watching them. Um, Yeah, um, as Sam said, I believe it was before we started recording, but we might have been recording. Uh, the second half today was very much the first half of, uh, of Brazil-Germany in the 2014 World Cup where everything Germany did and Spain did today just seemed to lead to a goal and 
and Brazil and Argentina just looked absolutely shell-shocked. Yeah. It wasn't... No, the result wasn't really a, a fair reflection if that exists in football. Uh, but it's a wake-up call, yeah. Um, Sambaoli, if he doesn't learn lessons from this game, then I, I won't understand what the hell he's doing as Argentina coach, basically. Indeed. A stat that's just flashed up on Dan's television is that Isco has become the seventh player ever to score a hat-trick against Argentina mm-hmm. and only the second European after Safet Susic mm-hmm. for Yugoslavia in 1979. That's interesting. Um, Joaquin Botero. Joaquin Botero scored in that 6-1 against uh, Bolivia, which was one of the two previous uh, 6-1s that Argentina had suffered. Um, Tom Robinson says, I'm sure you'll talk about this in detail. But if not, what is the latest regarding the Independiente scandal? Thank you for that question, Tom, but hopefully we've covered it already. As far as we're aware, we've covered the latest of it anyway. Um, Paul Richardson again says another question. Has Sam Pauli picked players who really aren't going to make the difference? For example, Ocelso has never really done much or won anything with Central, and he's picked for the national side because he plays for PSG. Thoughts? I'm... I think that's a little bit harsh on, on Lochel. I mean, the fact that he's never won anything with Central is undisputedly true, of course. The, the, he didn't do much, I think, is very harsh. They reached three consecutive Copa Argentina finals. I think he was in the squad for two of them, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I'm sure. And he was very, very good when he was there. Um, I mean, uh, a move to PSG, which not any young kid does. And precisely. Can't um, exactly hang, I don't know. PSG's elimination to Real Madrid on his shoulders. Beyond that, I think, yes, to a certain extent. I, I wouldn't say he's being called up because he plays for PSG. He is being pl- called up because he plays in central midfield, which is a position where, as we've mentioned a few times in this podcast, Argentina don't have as many options as cliché would normally suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, and in these couple of matches, he's been forced to play further forward in the kind of role that he did play for Central regularly, but has not been played for PSG. I would remind everybody, by the way, that a few weeks ago, in the last 16 of the Champions League, he was played as a defensive midfielder by mm-hmm. PSG. At least Sampaoli wasn't that fucking stupid. Um, but perhaps his, his true place in the team could be somewhere between those two extremes, somewhere between the enganche, when the enganche that you've got is Messi at least, and playing in the Mascherano role. I think his, his, if you tried him as a, as a number eight, let's say in Argentine parlance, a box-to-box midfielder, I, I think he might be able to offer something, particularly given, again, that Argentina don't have that many options in that role. Yeah, I think he, he has to, to be honest. and That should be his long-term role in the squad. It's a shame, really, that you know we're talking about renewing the, the Argentina team now, two months away from the, the World Cup when it's something that could have been done or at least could have been started uh, three years ago which would have made a lot of sense and at but the then moment, part of that as well is, is, is having a proper uh, continuity of management or keeping oh, co- yeah, I mean, and so on and, I mean, yeah. let's say this 6-1 defeat didn't come out of the sky I mean it's the culmination of a process which has seen four different uh, coaches at the at the helm since the 2014 World Cup and it's interesting to think what might have been if the AFA hadn't done such a fantastic job of pissing off Gerardo Martino that he decided <laughs> to to quit or if they hadn't 20 
after the Copa Centenario, right? Twenty sixteen. Yes. Or if um, they hadn't skimped out and gone for Balsar in yeah, but that I mean, moment instead of San Paulo. San Paulo would have been the better appointment at that moment in time, but the Alpha didn't have any money. It wasn't necessarily right. to do with them wanting to save money. It was them just not having the money at all to, to sign. Yeah. Um, you know, but if if Martino had had a full run at the qualifiers, I am aware that not all of our listeners are big fans of Gerardo Martino, but. It's. I just. I wonder where we would be right now because his record in competitive matches was actually pretty bloody good. It was good, yeah. It was very good. Next up, mystical predictions are back because this mm-hmm. week there actually are some mystical predictions because there is a round of league games to go. Um, How did we all do in the in the friendly predictions? I did not make a note of who said what. I, I remember I was the only one who went for an Argentina win today. And yeah. you and Andres both went for draws, I think. So we were um, So I think everybody got the win against Italy, right? And yeah. nobody got today's result, um, surprisingly. Um, but anyway, I will be back in a minute with Mystic Ahmed's predictions and Mystic Mine. So don't go away. Here we go. These games kick off on Friday evening and they're going to go, according to your mystical predictors, as follows. Huracan versus Banfield. Ahmed's going for an Huracan win. I'm going to go for a draw, I think, for that one. Belgrano against Racing. Ahmed's going for a Belgrano... No, he's not. Sorry, he's going for a draw. Uh, I'm going to go for a Racing victory. Um, in Newell's Old Boys versus Tigre, Ahmed says draw. I think I think a draw looks good for that one actually because Newell's not that good. Tigre are away from home. Um, for Vélez Sarsfield versus Estudiantes, Ahmed says Vélez. I think. Hmm. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go for a draw there. Um, for Gimnasia versus Argentinos, Ahmed says Argentinos. I'm going to go for Argentinos as well there. I think that's a good call. Uh, for Union against San Martín, Ahmed says Union, and I think that that's a difficult one to argue with, so I'll go for the same. Independiente versus Atlético Tucumán. We're both going for Independiente to win that one. Defensa Justicia versus River. Ahmed says River. I'm going to keep the faith and say that River are going to maintain their mini-revival of prior to the international break. Chacarita Juniors versus Arsenal. Ahmed's going for Arsenal. That, if ever there is one game that you should just not watch at any point in the season. It loses football in that one. Good grief. Well, um, Chaka have been playing a little bit better in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to go for a Chacarita win. Yeah, um, that's going to sound like you're, you're giving me tips there. Sorry, I didn't mean to... To intervene in the creative process, I know this no, all is. goes. This all has a lot of thought put into it and everything. Indeed, it is. Patronato against Rosario Central. Ahmed says Patronato. I think it's going to be a draw in Parana. Boca Juniors versus Tacheres. Title game. Indeed, the match which could see Boca go nine points clear could see them lead cut to three if Tacheres win. Ahmed says draw, in which case Boca Juniors. Um, particularly combined with the, the next result is predicted uh, Boca Juniors leave would be cut sorry would remain at six points um, I am going to go I'm going to stick my neck out I'm going to go for a Tacheres victory Ooh. in that one uh, because I believe 
in the title race. I want it to happen. You just don't want Bucca to win the title. No, it's not that I don't want to. I'd like, I mean, okay, partly it might be that, but I'd also just like there to be a vaguely interesting end to the league. That's true, that's true. Uh, Lanús versus San Lorenzo. Ahmed says Lanús. I'm saying San Lorenzo to win that one. Um, Olimpo against Tempele. Ahmed says Tempele will win that. I think that's going to be a draw. That's another game to to swerve. Probably avoid, yeah. And Godoy Cruz against Colón, I think, is going to be a Godoy Cruz victory, and so does Ahmed. That could be interesting. An interesting mix of absolutely borderline, I mean, not borderline even, just completely unwatchable matches there, with some that could be really interesting Mm -hmm. and spicy. Um, Defensive against DC against River should be a decent one. Uh, Boca Dacheres is obviously the, the main course, as it were, this coming weekend. Um, but yeah, uh, Belgrano against Racing could be. Yeah, Lanús against San Lorenzo, an interesting fixture. To, to do that one quite comfortably, in fairness. But they should, yeah. Lanús San Lorenzo very much, I think, depend on which Lanús team turn up. Yes. Um, because they haven't been great for. Well, is it Duyantes would be interesting as well, I reckon. See if uh, mm. Gabi Ainz's revolution is really a revolution. Well, it's not, is it? It's. Uh, <laughs> They're nowhere near as good as people think they are. But no. There but we are. You know, you we shall see. Um, that is it for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us in this traumatic week mm-hmm. uh, or traumatic day for Argentine football. We hope to be in a better mood to talk to you next week. For now, it is thank you and goodbye from English Down. Thank you for listening. And from me, thank you and goodbye. Mm-hmm.